Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's presenting sponsor is Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas and one of the area's hidden gems. If you're interested in local history, from the ranchers and pioneers who settled this area to the American Indians who lived here long before that, you can learn so much from the artifacts and collections at PPHM. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. This episode of Hey Amarillo was recorded at the Union Hall Workspace on Donovan Circle. It's a co-working space for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and other mobile workers. And their enclosed meeting space is one of my favorite places to meet guests and record episodes. Schedule a tour or look into pricing options at unionhalltx.com. Today's guest is Casey Tam. Casey is an interior designer, the owner of Nest Interiors and Construction, and the owner-operator of the Nat Antiques on 6th Street, which itself is home to more than 100 vendors in one of the most iconic buildings in Amarillo's history. Casey grew up here, but she didn't really see herself becoming a young entrepreneur like she is now. In fact, coming back to Amarillo at all was something of an accident dictated by outside forces. But Casey made the most of it. We talk about her business career, the ins and outs of working on 6th Street, and how she's planning to increase the visibility of shop owners on this historic stretch of the city. Here's Casey Tam. Casey Tam, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I, I want to talk about the Nat. I want to talk about some new things that you're involved with, your business, all that stuff. But before we get to that point, uh, I want to hear how you ended up here in Amarillo in the first place. So tell me your okay. story. Where, where do we start? Oh, um, you know, I was born and raised here. Uh, my dad was born and raised here also. And then I went off to college. Uh, I actually went to the Art Institute in Dallas. Okay. Uh, I studied interior design. Um, my dad was a commercial builder here pretty much my entire life. So I just kind of gravitated towards that. I always liked visiting job sites with him. Uh, What's your dad's name? Dick Robinson. Okay. So uh, yeah, it was something that I kind of always was passionate about, uh, which I was lucky to know what I wanted to do whenever I went to college. Um, And so yeah, I was there for four years. Sadly, though, I graduated in the winter of 2008, right when the... Not a great time yeah. to enter the workforce. Definitely not, especially in a metropolitan area like Dallas. You know, both of the internships I was working at, one was at a showroom type place, and then the other was for an actual interior design studio, and both of them were just kind of like projects were being canceled left and right. They offered me to stay on, but only an internship pay, which, you know, my parents were ready to cut me off at that point. So I was a little lost for a bit. Um, but, you know, Amarillo has always been, kind of been one of these cities where certain things don't seem to affect it uh, the way they do other areas. A little bit of a bubble from yeah, I mean, economies. And so that's where, you know, my dad was like building his still moving forward here. Um, so, you know, if he just offered me to come home, live in one of his rent houses for a bit, work for him until I kind of figured it out. And so that's what I did. I moved home in that February of 2009. Uh, just kind of started cranking out just basic CAD plans for commercial finish out. Not the most inspiring and creative stuff. Uh, you said you knew what you wanted to do, though, when you went to Dallas for college. I mean, yeah. did you have... 
plans at that point? Were you thinking, all right, I'm going to stay in the Metroplex area or I'm going to end up in a big city? I mean, was that? Yes. I uh, I mean, I did love Dallas, but I definitely still wanted to be city oriented. I wanted to work for a hospitality company. Uh, that was always kind of something I enjoyed was the design of hotels and restaurants, that kind of feel. I felt like there was a lot of creativity there. But commercial, I also really enjoyed because of the guidelines that you have when it comes to building safety and stuff. But uh, you didn't grow up thinking, someday I'm going to work with my dad. I did not. I uh, I definitely did not, uh, which it's really funny. We have an amazing relationship today. He is my number one cheerleader. He's kind of the whole reason where I am today because that's kind of what happened is I met him for lunch down on 6th Street one day in... Oh, I wanted to say it was July of 2009. And he had noticed that I hadn't been my happiest. And so he was just kind of asking me, you know, what what do you want to do? Um, what, you know, would make you happy? And sure enough, right next door to Golden Light, there was a for lease sign in the old San Jacinto Antique store. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we called on that. Uh, turns out Vicki Youngblood, who has Youngblood's Cafe, She was the owner at the time, and she was really incredible. I mean, I was 21 and, you know, had really not a lot to bring to the table. Uh, I had never really even, I had worked one retail job, I think, in my life. And so she was great about, you know, encouraging me and also giving me some flexibility to get started. Um, And so, yeah, I signed a lease, and that October I launched my first store, uh, which was called Nest. Um, It was next door to Golden Light, and it was kind of focused on this whole, you know, I saw the same kind of thing I think you see was that Amarillo had a lot of creative people that just didn't really have an outlet or a place to kind of show but also maintain their you know, lifestyle if they had another full-time job or something. So that's kind of what Nest originally was. It was a place to really showcase all the creative talent we had in Amarillo and then also give me kind of an outlet to sell, you know, all my interior design goods. Which sounds, you know, like something that that we see a lot of in Amarillo at this point. But this was, you know, 10 years ago or eight years, nine years ago. So it was a relatively new kind of thing. It was. And um, I was really young at the time. And so, you know, I mean, I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. And so I was super driven. And it was a blast. I mean, that I had Nest for, I think it was open seven years total before I got too busy with the new Endeavor, which is now the Nat. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Um, We got some wonderful write-ups from statewide magazines with Texas Monthly and one called FD Lux. Uh, We were actually named one of the top 50 stores in the state of Texas by them. Um, And so once that stuff kind of started happening is whenever my dad really started pushing me to do something even bigger. He was the one that always kind of piddled around 6th Street, loved going to the antique stores, finding old tools. And so he kept telling me, you know, you need to do something where you bring in actual furniture vendors, do it on a larger scale. Um, And I just, I didn't, I wasn't really interested until, you know, he really started dropping like little real estate things on my desk that were, you know, for places over by Steinmart or something like that. And I just didn't want to leave sixth. And then probably a week after he started doing that. I was driving to work and all of a sudden there was a release sign outside the Nat. 
which I mean, I, I definitely kind of believe in fate and stuff like that. And so did you have a relationship with the Nat before that? Like, had you been there? I had a minor one. Yeah. I mean, growing up, my parents, you know, yeah, whenever like Red Door was on Sixth Street and stuff like that, you know, we'd go down for the holidays and that's when Pete and Mike had the Nat and kind of were doing the antique store slash venue, um, which I think was pretty complicated. I had been to a couple like High Plains Food Bank fundraisers and a couple concerts there, but I really hadn't explored the building because so much of it was always roped off whenever I went to those events. And so I knew what the ballroom kind of looked like in the dark, um, but I had no idea just how big it was. I was completely ill-informed about the amazing history that it had, which I quickly learned thanks to the downtown library right after I signed the lease. Um, okay, and what, so, yeah. What's this building that I'm occupying now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What and ghosts can I expect to see? For <laughs> sure. I mean, and, you know, I think the Amarillo Globe News ran um, on their Sunday paper. I had no idea it was going to be the cover, but it was an article called From Nest to the Nat. Um, and it was this whole thing about me taking over the Nat and kind of breathing new life into it. Um, and it was ironic. It ran right before Friday the 13th in my inbox filled up with people that were wanting to come in and do these like ghost hunts and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I kind of got an education from the old articles and stuff like that from the library. But then, I mean, the community itself, everyone has a different story and a different tie to the Nat, which is really incredible. And then, you know, I mean, they've documented it here and there uh, through, I think, PBS did a feature a while back on it. And so, I mean, I've just, and I'm still learning things today. For, for listeners who maybe don't know a little bit of that history, um, you know, tell me, tell me the significance of of that building and the role that it's played, not just on sixth street, but you know, in Amarillo, you know, originally the reason we call it the Nat is, uh, that's short for natatorium, um, which is an indoor swimming pool. Uh, so back in 1921, it was, basically a swimming pool. That the first they had, one in Amarillo, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they had put uh, a roof over it, um, and it you know, was Olympic-sized, and it had these pool heaters. Sadly, it was not that for very long at all. I think it only lasted like three years. Mm-hmm. And then the guy that purchased it after that is the one that decided to turn it into the ballroom. And, you know, there's the big myth that the pool at one point retracted, and so it was a swimming pool and a dance floor. I think that's kind of It's a Wonderful Life is where they're getting that. Um, It definitely did not. Um, The pool is still there. They pretty much just drained it and then set the supports on the empty pool floor uh, for the dance floor that you see today. And, yeah, I mean, the people that came through, the bands um, and the events that took place, it is really remarkable, especially because Amarillo has grown so much And names that used to stop through here, they don't anymore. And that really blows my mind. Who were some of those artists? I mean, Louis Armstrong, uh, Roy Orbison, Bob Wills played all the time up here. Um, And so they were these people that would travel through, but then they would also kind of do this thing where they would have an orchestra come on for a full month. And so Mm. it was that's whenever they kind of embraced the dine and dance. And so you could come in. You could pay a little more, you could have dinner, and then you could also dance. And so, yeah, I mean, I 
think the first year I took control of the NAT, a group from the Ware Tower, uh, the senior living facility, they actually had a field trip down there. And it was so funny because the lady wanted me to basically give them the tour and all of them almost had their own story that involved the NAT. Yeah, they could so have been educating I learned you about it, it. Completely. I mean, so many of them, you know, they danced with guys that went off to war the next day or they met their husbands or they had some story about, you know, sneaking out and, you know, coming over here from Claude or wherever to dance. And it was just, it's really amazing how many stories are within that building. Did you ever think about mm-hmm. trying to restore it to that kind of, you know, format of, of maybe having music there or making right. it an event venue instead of, you know, this huge antique mall. Did, did you think about that? I definitely thought about it. However, I mean, that was not my passion. And going into the NAT, I knew, you know, a lot of people would be sad to see it not be that. However, you know, rules nowadays uh, with, you know, different things being compliant. Um, it's an old That building. is something yeah. the city definitely was not ready to see. Um, I think they saw it way more as a hazard for an event venue. Um, and so that's kind of where I was allowed to go ahead and go in. Um, so tell me what it has become <clears throat> then now is, you know, how is it, how are you using the building at, at this moment? So now, um, you know, because of the start at Nest and getting to meet so many different local artists, our, their contracts there were typically only three to six months. Um, and so at the NAT, it was really just a place where they could find a long-term home. Um, And so I think when we very first opened, I mean, the building is divided into 120 different booth rental sections. And over the six years, several of those people that moved in on day one have been so successful, they have expanded their space. So I think we're down to about 80-something vendors throughout the mall. And it's great. I mean, we have Painters, we have designers, um, you know, High Fidelity, the Amarillo's funky little record store. It's actually based in the Nats. Right. Um, and so it's just a wide variety of all different types of creatives in our area. And I think one of the coolest things that's been really, that's made me really happy is the tourists that do come by that have been here before that said, you know, I've always wanted to come in and see what this was. And so instead of it being closed most of the time and only open for one event or how I never got to actually see it, now, you know, we have a small little museum type area set up where people can come in, they can see the whole thing lit up, they can walk in the upstairs, uh, they can see the, you know, actual hat check, the music dancing tickets that we still have framed. Um, And so it's been really great for those people to get to experience it now. Tell me about those tourists that that pass through. I mean, I I know that Route 66 is a huge destination for like people who are traveling from Europe and they often end up on 6th Street right in the middle of of Amarillo. Do you see a lot of international people? We do. You know, I have been on 6th Street now for 10 years as a shop owner and it's incredible. The people from all over the world that I've gotten to meet. In the later summer, it brings a ton of people from Australia. Um, but I mean, there are there are people from almost every single part of the world that come here, they fly to Chicago, and all they want to do is relive Route 66. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really fun. I mean, it just it makes your job a lot more exciting. I mean, 
And I kind of always tell the vendors when they're moving in, you know, they ask, you know, well, what's the clientele? And it's so hard to tell them. I mean, you know, we mostly say, you know, in the summer, just be prepared for tourists and people from abroad. They want something that is Texas themed. This is usually the only part of Texas that they ever see. They do not venture south. Um, And then in the winter, it's really great because a huge following of our locals that don't come the rest of the year. They come down to 6th Street near the holidays. So I want to ask you about the aspect of owning a business. You know, hearing you tell the story, it seems like a lot of it was driven by your dad's suggestion, saying, well, (laughs) you should do this, or why don't you come here? And I, I know you wanted to get into hospitality, but does the idea of owning this business, you know, running, operating it yourself, does that kind of surprise you that you've ended up in this position? It does a little bit. Um, You know, I think just both of my parents were self-employed growing up. And so we got to see a lot of how they managed relationships and time and stuff like that. And so that is something that my sister and I both just kind of had ingrained in us. She managed some local salons for about a decade as well. And so I think that's just kind of something that we like to do. I mean, I love to host events. I love to party plan. And, you know, our retail experience has kind of been something like that. I love the part whenever we do our open houses. And I guess I have learned that I've developed kind of a knack for being a leader. Um, It's something I'm hoping to embrace a lot more in 2019, being more confident in that so that I can hopefully um, inspire more young entrepreneurs here. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to talk about that confidence because I one thing I found, you know, just just in trying to talk to entrepreneurs for the podcast and stuff, that, that it it's always seems a little bit harder to find women who are in business mm-hmm. or who have had success and stuff. Um, is that something that you have had to to that it's maybe been a challenge for you, or is this a place where women can succeed and and thrive just like you know men can, even though it's still fairly conservative. I think it most definitely is. I think women in this area sell themselves short all the time, Um, especially when it comes to women that are not in a career that's already mostly female oriented. Um, You know, so cosmetology versus the construction world. I mean, it's completely different. And Sixth Street was the perfect place for me to kind of get my start and find that confidence um, because it welcomes, I guess, a lot more ideas and it's a lot more open, Mm -hmm. I think, to kind of that kind of culture. And so I will say, though, putting myself in the right meetings with the right people and just developing those relationships, um, you know, a lot of times I kind of blow it off as just pure luck, but it's really not. I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that you know, I'm not scared to go in and sit down in that banker's office and just say, hey, this is my dream. Can we make it happen? Because I see that you're doing it for other people in the area. And if I'm not there yet, tell me what I need to do. And then I'll go do it and make it happen. Yeah. Well, when luck happens, you still have to be able to capitalize on that. You've got to be in position to do the stuff that's on the other side of that door that's been open to you. And I think a big thing also is, um, I mean, yeah, just talking to people outside of your bubble. I mean, you know, go to events. I mean, you know, whatever you're interested in. So whenever I was starting out the store, you know, I have always been a firm believer in collaboration over competition is a better, you know, foundation for success. And so I would go to other art galleries, to their openings, and just visit with them. And 
it's really incredible how so many of them will open up to you and about their business and what works. And a lot of times then we end up actually working together in the end, which has been really fun. Tell me what is next on your horizon. The Nat's going strong, but is, is there anything else happening? You know, I right after I opened the Nat, I got married and then I had two kids pretty much back to back. So I have kind of been out of the loop of a lot of stuff. Uh, 2018 was the year that I kind of looked back and went back more into the design world. I started taking back on some residential projects as well as more commercial stuff again. Kind of like you said, you know, Amarillo is changing. There's a lot more places opening up that are focusing on unique design. So that's been really great. And then, yeah, I think one of my hardest things that, you know, coming into this whole full 10 years being on 6th Street, I mean, stores have came, they've gone, some have stayed. But overall, there's a lot of stuff that 6th Street just gets bypassed. Um, I live in the downtown area. I am completely supportive of what is also happening downtown. However, I have come to the realization that if I want to see real change on 6th, it's something that me and the other business owners are going to have to do on our own. I think we'll get support eventually, um, but one of those things is visibility. Mm -hmm. Um, So many people don't even know that Amarillo has this one mile of unique shops and restaurants even off of the highway. Tons of them. I mean, you know, it's insane how many people still to this day, the NAT has been open for six years and they still have no idea what it is. So I began looking on I-40 uh, about three years ago, just kind of thinking, you know, if I'm going to do something, it has to be visible and it has to still be on what is technically Route 66. Right. Um, and lo and behold, about four months ago, I found five acres kind of out towards Cadillac Ranch on the north side of the highway. And the goal is to develop a completely collaborative space for creatives that shows what Amarillo has to offer off of I-40. The whole thing, you know, I kind of have... I guess, given myself this name from Nest whenever I used to blog. I was blogging back in 2009. We all were. And, you know, I named the blog from 6th um, because I was blogging from 6th Street in Amarillo. And that has just kind of always stuck with me. A lot of the publicity has came from that first little starter blog. And so the new concept is the From 6th Collective. So that's the name. And our hope is to bring with us a lot of these business owners that are currently on 6th, as well as people not, and bring them straight to I-40 so that people can see what they have. And we can basically be kind of not your average tourist stop. Mm-hmm. So I know my husband and I travel a ton in the antique industry. And when we pull into these towns, you know, you need to find where to go to find, you know, what you're looking for as far as arts and antiques and restaurants. And it's really difficult a lot of times because the most of the tourist places that the city funds talk about, you know, your state park area or something like that. There's not really a place where an artist or a business owner can show a small selection of what they offer. And if the person loves it, we can just direct them straight there. So instead of paying for a billboard, pay for a booth. And it's, I think, going to be kind of the new way of advertising millennials. Yeah. So it's not necessarily even to take away from what's happening on 6th Street, but to offer 
a more accessible, more visible arena for some of those artists, some of those shop owners to show their stuff. Completely. I mean, and you know, even the Southwest side of town, which I, over the last couple of years have kind of fallen victim to is not going over and exploring it. You know, I used to drive all over this city uh, and then got a little busier, so don't do it as much. But yeah, it's just insane how big we are and how spread out we are. And there's really no one place for them to connect other than some small show at the Civic Center every now and then. Um, I mean, I see the tourists coming through. And if you've driven by Cadillac Ranch, it's packed all day long. And so I think this will be a really great way to kind of show them that we're more than that. Tell me about the time frame. Do you do you have anything concrete or is it still kind of just a dream? <laughs> I was giving myself um, a lot of time. Uh, I think just because getting back into work mode after kind of being in such mom mode for a while has been a little tricky. Um, and it's like everything else in my life happening way faster than I had planned. Um, so I think as of right now, we are going to shoot for an official grand opening in August of okay. 2019. So. Yep. That's fun. It's a lot. <laughs> Five acres is bigger than I realized. Yeah, so. that's a that's a lot yeah. of space. I want to close this portion just by asking about you know, you you mentioned, you know, going to meet with with banks and and to get the funding and the different ideas that you've had. Has has this area, this community, do you feel been a good one, a good place to start a business, a good place to get a business going, to expand? I mean, have you have you ever faced any any hurdles in in the way of doing that? I mean, there's been some hurdles, but nothing, nothing can be, I mean, I am fully aware that this would never have happened to me had I not came back to Amarillo. Amarillo is one of those unique places where it's big enough that there's opportunity, but it's small enough that the cost of living is incredible. Yeah. And you can build relationships way easier than being in a large area. So, I mean, you know, my husband is from way up north, a beautiful part of Illinois. And so he, you know, really struggled with me wanting to stay here in this area. Um, and so earlier this summer is when he was kind of giving me the ultimatum to stay or leave. And that's when I said, give me five years to realize my dream, because I know that this is the only place I can make it happen. And I think we'll be able to change Amarillo enough that you're going to love it. So I hope you're still here in five yeah, years. Same here. <laughs> This week's episode is sponsored by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, located in Canyon on the campus of West Texas A&M University. Now, I'm a huge fan of this museum. It's the largest history museum in Texas. And, and one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is create a record of life here in Amarillo and Canyon during this moment in time. Well, Panhandle Plains has been actively doing that since it started in 1921. And what you may not know is that the museum is a nonprofit. The university helps with things like insurance and building maintenance, but it's primarily funded by membership and donations and visitor fees. So if it's been a while since you dropped in at Panhandle Plains, go check it out. There's always something new to see among its two million artifacts, and the exhibits change all the time. Anytime is a great time to visit PPHM because it's open year-round five days a week in the winter and seven days a week in the summer with closures on only a few holidays. Admission is $12.50 for adults, Tuesday through Saturday. Learn more at panhandleplains.org or on their Facebook page. Okay, I'm back with Casey Tam. Casey, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. 
I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever amount of detail you want to go into. Okay. The very first one, other than your own, of course, what's your favorite shop or restaurant or destination on 6th Street? So this is really difficult because I have so many that I love, but a handful, I would say. So Golden Light has always been one of our favorite hangouts. And then I also really love Tuloons. It's been great watching them grow. Um, they actually got their start within my first store nest. Okay. 806, because the owners are really incredible at cheerleading and supporting not just the one mile of retail along 6th. Uh, they do a lot for the San Jacinto community yeah, as a whole. And then last, I would probably say uh, Blue Sage Pottery and Art Studio. Okay. Uh, my husband and I are actually taking his pottery class right now. So You can uh, you can see that pottery uh, used at Six Car Pub and Brewery, I you believe. You can. Yeah, he made it all. Uh, you've probably, people have, listeners have probably dined on, on that <laughs> stuff. What's your favorite park in Amarillo? My favorite park has probably always been Oliver Eccle. Um, I... Found it in high school thinking it was like this little private gym. Um, I used to read there a lot. But uh, since having kids, we probably visit Memorial a lot more for the playground. Okay. What does this area have too much of? Oh, chain restaurants. <laughs> Way too many. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that that's because of I-40. Right. And the amount of people coming through here. Yeah. Yeah. But I do. I think it's really funny how a chain restaurant will come in and it gets so much attention versus a local gym whenever it opens. Yeah. So, although I, I have a feeling and maybe it's just anecdotal that that's starting to change a lot. I mean, when you have, when you have the success of businesses like crush or six car, you know, locally owned stuff that are becoming very popular. It just seems weird to go to for know, sure. Texas yeah. roadhouse or olive <laughs> garden or something right. like that. Yeah. What does this area not have enough of? Young entrepreneurs. But like you just said, I definitely see that changing. So I'm really excited to, watch Amarillo grow over the next 10 years with that. Is there a certain like category or industry or something that you would like to see that growth in, or is it just across the board? I mean, I really think it's across the board. Um, you know, I see a lot of young architects coming in. You know, I think Lemieux, what they're doing is incredible. And I was blown away to find out a lot of people that work with him are younger than me. Yeah, uh, it's a lot making of college me feel students. old now. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, I just, I think watching all of them, I just think it's popping up all over town right now, um, which is really, really exciting. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? So I typically just remind them it is not a sleepy West Texas town and not to judge it uh, just by what they see whenever they drive through. Uh, I just describe it as super rich in diversity. Um, it's just really spread out. So Okay. When was the last time you went to the Big Texan? That was actually the night of my grand opening for the Nat. Um, really? I flew my best friend from college into town to help me actually work the grand opening because I only had one paid employee at the time. And I mean, you can't bring a newcomer to Amarillo and not take him out there. I mean, it's too right. famous. So what what was the uh, what was the experience like? What'd you do there? Just have dinner? I mean, I think she was pretty blown away by the whole thing. Uh, you know, and so, yeah, we pretty much just had dinner. I think it was right after they started that whole brewery okay. thing. And so, but pre-Starlight Ranch, but. What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? Oh, um, I would probably say, I mean, the seasons have shifted a little bit in the last couple of years, but the early summer thunderstorms, that was one thing I missed a lot whenever I moved away is 
just being able to watch and actually feel a storm roll in across the high plains. I think that's something that you can't really describe to people. They have to experience it here. And then last question, I, I want to get you to identify yourself with a certain camp or certain team, <laughs> Pack-A-Sack or Tootin' Totem? Well, I'm going to have to say Pack-A-Sack, but I'm a bit partial. Um, I was really close with Terry McKee's daughter growing up. You know, he's one of the owners of Pack-A-Sack and she's actually one of my holiday install clients nowadays. So Okay. So it's it's primarily just the uh, the it's relationship based, yeah. Because I live proximity. I live or... in the part of town where there are not a lot of pack of sacks. Yeah. So um, yeah, downtown we pretty much go to Toot and Totem for the most part. Okay. Uh, that concludes the eight straight section, Casey. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something related to the area. So what's something that you would want listeners to know about, or to experience, or or to participate in? I think something I would like to see um, is kind of a call to action. Uh, Inclusivity, I think, is important. Uh, Kind of, I think everyone's going on this right now is being frustrated with whether the southwest side of town is getting something, whether downtown is getting something. Um, I grew up on the southwest side of town on Belmar, but when I moved home, I moved into Old Amarillo. My husband and I dine at some of the best restaurants on the north side. Uh, Our Mexican food and our Thai food is insane out there. And then I'm about to open something way out west. And so I think our area is super rich in culture and diversity. And I think if we could just support all the realms of it, I think it would definitely help our city grow a lot more. I think the... The tendency is to look at it as sort of a, a zero-sum thing, that if something good happens here, that means it's right. not good over here. Yeah. You know, like we can only have one. But if, if something great is happening in one part of town, it should benefit the city as a whole and therefore every part of town. For sure, 100%. So. I like that I like that approach. I like that endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, Casey Tam, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Casey for the conversation and to Union Hall Workspace for graciously hosting us. Learn more about Casey and her businesses at thenatroute66.com or fromsixthcollective.com. Thanks to Panhandle Plains History Museum for sponsoring the show. Seriously, if you haven't been there in a while, go visit, go learn about the history of this area. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. You can help be a producer of the show, too, by visiting patreon.com slash heyamarillo. In the meantime, thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.